0: Welcome back to SoulNet, everyone. We are getting vulnerable today as we unveil our inner imposters and discuss aspects of our lives that we have been hiding. Our stories, although different, share similarities of not belonging or not feeling good enough within ourselves and the world around us, something many of us can relate to. Join us as we explore how we continue to move through these challenges and the importance of sharing as a way of healing. To all that are fortunate to know her, Megan is such a light in their lives. But the road of imposition began early for her. Let's listen in as she opens up about how some of her childhood experiences have contributed to these feelings of being an imposter and imposing on others.
1: As you guys know, my dad left. That was traumatic. You know, I was young, like seven, eight. And at the time in the 70s, you know, people didn't do that. No, it was like shameful if you're, if there was an affair and if anybody left a marriage, it was a shame. It was a shameful thing to do. So it kind of created a dark cloud over a family who was going through that. And, but what I've come to realize is that it was less about the community creating the dark cloud and more about my mom feeling all the shame feeling the betrayal, feeling the sadness, feeling so much that the dark cloud was more hers um, that I was feeling right. Right. Like I was feeling it. Yes. And so it was not about others necessarily, like in this particular case, I don't know if it was, but I'm going to say that, you know, it was more about her experience. And then when she Had a breakdown because of all of that darkness, then we were left, right, having to find a place to live. And I was welcomed into a home, a family in our community that brought me in. And, you know, nobody in my community made me feel that I was different. Mm -hmm. Nobody, like, everybody treated me, I'm going to cry, with love, Mm -hmm. right? But It was just the mere fact that I was imposing on somebody else's family. They never, again, they never made me feel like an imposter in their home. But I felt like it wasn't normal. Nobody else was living with another family. Nobody else had a mother who was hospitalized and institutionalized. Nobody else's dad that I knew was having an affair and had yeah. left. So it was just the my own experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I somehow felt like an imposter without anybody making me feel that way. Just my circumstances. So then as a young person, I carried that into my life. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I never knew if I actually belonged anywhere. So I wanted to talk about it because I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I thought it might be nice for us to have this conversation because belonging is something we all go through. Like, do we fit in this group? Do we do we feel worthy? Mm, And I I'm starting to have to practice self compassion and self acceptance, which Dana has talked about with her alopecia and her yes. own journey this This is a really something I guess I'm figuring out now as an adult because it comes up for me this imposter feeling Meg, you're one of the most authentic people
2: I know, you know with how you share your journey in children's books and you share it with children like that's there's so much authenticity in that and yet you experienced a a break in your connection as a child due to the circumstances and mm-hmm. connection creates the feeling of safety and the ability to just be a child if you feel connected oh there's a you don't even have to think about it there's parents there there's caring there's caring adults you know
1: it allows yeah. you to just be you
2: just be and you and so
1: when i go into places where i feel that feeling coming up it cuts me off from like feeling like I can just be me. Like maybe I have to play a role or maybe I have to do something better or, or be careful
2: to not impose. Like you said, Be careful
1: not to impose. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Cause what you experienced was with, with your, you said it so beautifully that your mom's experience was her own, but as a child, we don't have boundaries with our parent. You know, and and so it's the parent that is demonstrating boundaries to us. This is how we learn boundaries. But if the parent doesn't have those boundaries, then we learn to not have boundaries. And so her unprocessed emotions from a difficult situation, you absorbed them. And so, in a way, you absorbed your mom's unprocessed shame. And shame is the heaviest of all the human emotions, it's the heaviest. And so if we as children have unprocessed shame and we're carrying it and the parent has unprocessed shame so they can't help us with what we're carrying, then we carry it forward. And in your case, you came to just experience it as this imposter syndrome of imposing on. And that perception you had of imposing on is is unprocessed shame. And if we bring it up in the context of parts, younger parts... You have a younger part that doesn't, is terrified holding this heavy, you described it as a dark cloud. What do I do with this? And so every interaction that you're having with another family or what, they, they could be the most regulated, but you're holding on to unregulated energy that's not even your own. It's, you know, we do this yeah. as children because we love the family that we're in. We want them to be better, but often they can't help themselves to be better. And so, as children, we inherit this. this is like literally ancestral trauma happening in real time, and then we carry it, we hold it, and we try to be authentic, but the cloud is bigger than the authenticity in the moment't have the tools and there's no there's no helpful adult in the moment. It's not that our parents didn't care, but they were burdened by their own stuff that they it was just too heavy, and they didn't have the tools. And so this is how ancestral intergenerational trauma keeps going until there's a certain place, a pivot point where we, there's a combination of a waking up and a combination of resources.
1: Like, it's interesting to make that connection between the the feeling of being an imposter and shame. Yes. There's a direct connection.
2: Direct direct connection. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because you're
1: feeling like like i it often happens for me like it's a it's like i'm i'm still carrying that then
2: yes exactly it's a younger part and in the context of parts language it's got unprocessed emotional energy so it's a part in our psyche it's not all of our psyche it's just a, a small part that when it's activated this part of our neurology age regresses and we become that age that just in that moment, emotionally, where you entered that new home and they may have been loving and received you with open hearts, open arms, but you were still carrying the dark cloud, none of which is your fault. I but but you, we just replicate, we unconsciously replicate the model that we were demonstrated until the rewiring yeah. takes place. Mm. So it's it's unprocessed shame really at its core. And I love that you brought up the idea for this topic to discuss because I think it shows up in everybody in kind of a, their unique way, kind of like a fingerprint, you know, my imposter syndrome shows up in a different way than yours, but it's also related to unprocessed shame for me. Yeah. hundred percent. And Dana, I'm curious what, what your experience is.
0: Well, this is really, I got a couple of different things that I could share on, but I'm, I will choose the uh, the alopecia mm-hmm. journey for me because that was a really big one. So um, as far as context goes for the alopecia journey, um, I lost my hair fairly rapidly. Um, it was like a little bit of a patch and then it felt like it was like gone overnight. Mm-hmm. And so I quickly went into wigs because I wanted to hide it. And this was also like... Conversations from, you know, family members and concerns and what it was like to show up in the world as a bald woman and all of these different things. And even for my son about keeping things continuous at school for him so that, like, no one questions whether his mom was okay or not. And so I did this for the earlier parts and the, like, I've gone through, I think, three fallouts and then regrowth over the years. And A couple of years ago, I finally really, I really woke up to this shame piece. And I, I was like, it was really clear that I was hiding parts of myself by going out in the world in a wig, even though it's something that women have done for like years, people do this for me. It wasn't, I wasn't able to show up as myself because myself had no hair, like so by putting this wig on as much as it might be fun and it might stop the conversations, I was betraying myself and I was buried in this shame that like, I was not fucking good enough
2: without hair. Wow. Oh I, have ting- oh. I have tingles. I have tingles up my spine. I so resonate with what, wow. That's so powerful, Dana. My God.
1: Oh my God. Ah. Wow. We're ashamed. Why? Why? Because society doesn't accept us without hair.
0: Like, it, it's like. I think it goes so it's yeah, Like
2: It's the not good enough piece.
0: I can't speak to the male experience, but I think as young women growing up, I mean, we grew up in diet culture. I grew up in a mother who was beautiful, but she always thought that, like, she was too fat or something. Ah, like, yeah. there was something wrong with her. And so that was what was modeled. And I think as a young child, me looking at her, like she was the world and she's beautiful and all these things yet in her mind, she wasn't enough. And so I learned that. And then when I, you you add on hair loss as a female, so who am I even with this? Who am
1: I? Exactly. Yeah, Who am I anymore? Yeah, (gasps) (laughs) I love you. (gasps) I love you guys too. I I know who you are. brilliant
2: i love that.
0: i i do too now and i but i had to look at that stuff right and like you said our our situations are all different mine came in the way of this this underlying gift that the alopecia was for me that, that allowed me to go into these places and recognize that i was hiding and i was hiding from myself too
2: mm. i just want to honor what you just shared as a such a example of in midlife, when women, you know, you know, not only we are losing our youth and our beauty in midlife, but there's other mm-hmm. circumstances too, like in breast cancer, losing a breast, or um, like the yeah. things that deeply challenge, as you experience, deeply challenge our experience of being a woman. You know, not not even just the beauty piece, but like, you know, for the breast, it's what we nursed our child with, or the hair is what yeah. we kind of just did every day to. For our appearance, and you're, we're very confronted by our experience as a feminine woman with the loss of these, uh, either reproductive aspects of ourself or aesthetic aspects of ourselves. It's it, yes. it confronts our identity like no other. You just really hit at the heart of what many women experience when we're confronted by the loss of our prior femininity. our our old self and now the new self. Yeah, Yeah,
1: because you're right. Because, you know, in midlife, everything starts to sink and sag and, and like your identity is, is in the external Mm -hmm. and just what you look like, then this stage of life becomes torturous. Devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that in the beauty culture. Well, what I also find really fascinating about it too, Dana, is that like you talked about, you know, the conditioning, right? Like your mom thinking she was, you know, not perfect. Yeah. This comparison, right? Mm -hmm. The comparison piece. And that was like my mom. So when her marriage fell apart, the comparison to all other families who were, the perception was all other families were together. Like we've, we take that on, like, then, then that becomes like, we're not pretty enough. We're not good enough. We're not worthy enough to belong in the norm, the normal part of society. And that's the shame. That's the shame.
2: And you know, something that's really interesting about shame with, you know, Brene Brown researches shame, and she has a really incredible Mm -hmm. understanding of how to heal shame is that shame cannot be healed in isolation by yourself it can actually only be healed in relationship with others by sharing. So like Meg, your experience of like, it's interesting. I just heard you say some words when you were describing your experience of living with a family, when you moved with the family, that sounded similar to your mom's words, which were like no one else is experiencing this. And it's because you were Mm -hmm. alone at the time experiencing that you weren't able to share with anyone. And your mom at the time was alone, not able to experience. And What I noticed, which began my healing journey, was when I went into some, like a youth group and then some support groups that started talking about our childhood experiences, which ultimately just was about sharing. Mm -hmm. And the act of sharing made me realize, oh, shit, other kids actually go through this. The the norm is that many people go through this, if not almost everyone. And it might not be the same experience, but it's similar. There's shame at the core of it, like, oh, you felt that way too? Really? I always assumed you were this, like, you know, like I looked at you guys and thought you had great lives, like with Dana going to ski on Whistler on the weekends and Megan with her (laughs) adorable boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) You You guys are like the classic, you know, high school you know, perfect couple is what I remember, right? And how many of us knew really what was going on under the surface of all that shame of unprocessed emotions that we were holding from our parents, right? So it created this imposter syndrome, as you describe it. Yeah. Well, and the reality
0: is back then is that we wouldn't have even known to, or I wouldn't have known to label it as shame. <laughs> like I wasn't there, right? Like it was like. None of us were. This is the midlife, Dana, that gets well, into You know what? <laughs> it's so interesting
1: because, like, yeah, we totally didn't know. That. We didn't know. We didn't know.
2: I'll just share quickly, like, briefly on my imposter syndrome experience or journey is. I I didn't feel like I was, um, in my definition of imposter, I noticed it's like like I'm being something that I'm not, like I'm inauthentic. I didn't have that experience. I I would say I was quite authentic uh, in my expression, but the imposter for me was like, although I'm authentic, I'm not good enough. My not good enough was just like, I'm just at my core, I'm not good enough because, and and I've kind of combined it with certain things have happened to me that were, I guess, let's just say unfortunate, right? And so it happened because Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. Like, uh, that's the, like that's the that's the kind think, of, of reason and be, reasoning right? that I use to explain like why are these things happening? It must be because I'm not good enough. Like everyone else, you know, is like better than me somehow. Like my I would say it just must have been uh some kind of karmic thing i you know it's it's the reason because the brain always wants to figure out why why is this shit happening <laughs> totally which we really in the grand scheme we, we don't, don't need know. but we we'd like to have an answer yeah. right? yeah and and i've i've heard it described and this was really helpful for me because my soul was very pain you know there are certain circumstances that are just so outside of our control that there will be certain things that happen to us as human beings some of us experience war and poverty. Some of us don't. And it doesn't mean that we're not good enough. It just means we're born into circumstances that mean you will experience certain shit. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. it's not because your soul is is lesser than. It's not that. It just we're kind of predisposed. Some people feel it's soul contracts. Do we really know the answer to that? I don't know. I kind of tend to subscribe to that.
0: <laughs> Me too. Me too the reality is like i'm whole and i'm complete and and because of all of these experiences and these things that i've gone through right
1: you know sometimes i feel too like wow i feel like this was my journey mm-hmm. and all my lessons mm-hmm. and all my learning yeah. <clears throat> and you know it's brought me to all these incredible places and here with you guys and but i i have to say that it it's like the work is never done It was actually Mark Nepo, who's an author and a poet and a philosopher who I love. And I've done some workshops with him. And he, like talking about flipping the scripts and kind of changing the language, he often refers to showing up in the world as an offering, Mm. Whether it's an offering of love, well, everything really he does is an offering of love. An offering, like when you're serving in servitude, when you are showing up as a coach, as a guide, as a teacher, you're just showing up as yourself and you're offering mm. something forward. And when you do that, it just means that not everybody has to receive it. Yeah, true. Yeah. Not, everybody, not can. everybody can, not everybody will, not everybody um will want to, and that's okay. And so a part of my healing of this imposter syndrome, and I, I sometimes I have to just remind myself it, just by showing up is an offering.
0: What was really helpful for me has been playing the witness, and actually, even when I be, for the alopecia piece, when I became really aware of this hiding piece and that it was something that I wanted to explore further, I did a little challenge um, to kind of get myself through this because this is kind of the pit of nature. I like a little bit of competitiveness, and it was a part <laughs> yes. of myself that I didn't <laughs> like. So I was like, "All right, yeah. let's go." Love it. So I did this like 30 days of bald and I'd, I'd experienced a lot of my life in the world as a bald woman, but there were certain ones that I was, still hide, I was still hiding and I was still feeling shameful about. And a couple of those things were going to like a party, like a fancy event with my bald wow. self and in a, in a great dress and all those wow. things and made yep. up and, and trusting that that oh. was, I was still beautiful and feminine and all these things. And so during this 30 day um, challenge that I gave myself, I I documented it so I wrote over it and I gotta tell you the first couple of days of like my writing was around like oh my gosh, like, what am I going to wear today? Like I was worried about how I was going to somehow make myself look less bald or less weird, weird in the world. And so I would have these anxieties that would come up in my writing. And over the course of this month, because I did them every day for whatever, whatever it was that I was being challenged on, I would see how all of a sudden. There was no trepidation. I was just getting out of bed every morning and I was being me. Same thing with the event that I did go through, by the way, to this fancy event. It was a big fundraiser, cancer research fundraiser. And I wore a great party dress. I had great makeup. When I'm in those experiences, I don't even think I'm bald. People, people come up to you because they're like, oh my gosh, you're like, you're radiating. You're, like, you're, you're this radiating. <laughs> yeah.
1: Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
0: But I got to a place where I'd forgotten that. Through that process, I became the witness. And so that's, what's helped me now is I still, I still get triggered. Sometimes I laugh at my kind of patchy head. Sometimes I might, when I post on social media, I'll see like, I'll see the, the, the bad patches or whatever, not necessarily the good stuff, but I really see it. I identify it so much quicker as the witness. And I'm like, you're okay. I get to give myself that little, like you're just fine, babe.
1: Yeah. So that like, self-compassion. We love, we love you through and through. To make it after
0: yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing that because that, yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, I'm hearing too is just, yeah, like to show up for yourself with compassion in those moments yeah. and to remind yourself. And can you witness yeah, can it? Yeah, you witness
0: witness it? yeah. Can, can you witness it? Yeah. Can you witness it?
2: Because that's the really, that's where it really starts to change. It's just such an inspiring example of, to heal these aspects of our psyche that are doubting, mm. right, requires witness energy. It requires like the soul to be connected to source.
0: And, and not in the emotions. Yeah. Anymore.
1: So stepping out and meeting life, meeting life with your authentic energy, you know, what we're trying to do. Most days now, right? This
0: is something that everybody is going through on some level. And I think all of our kids are, you know, going through it or will be asked to look at it at some point in their life. And how do we continue to normalize it? I think for young people too.
2: Yeah. That to live an authentic life actually includes pain. We can normalize the pain. Um, and I think when we normalize the pain, then it reduces suffering the normalizing of pain allows us to also feel the joy because there's, there's always going to be both. Yeah. There's always, yeah. It seems like that's the kind of formula. (laughs) There's both duality. Yeah. Yeah. There's both the duality.
0: And I think, and I think the sharing of it and that's part of why I've like shared pretty openly about the alopecia piece. It gives license for others to do the same thing. Right. It's like whatever you're struggling with, it's just like, it's, it's okay. Right.
1: Well, I really love that when you brought up Renee Brown's, like that we heal in community, that same cannot be addressed and healed in isolation.
2: In isolation. So,
1: you know, here we are Mm -hmm. on the net on our pod and we share, it is when I feel most balanced. Like yeah. when I can come and I can share it and you can say, Hey, I have this experience and Oh, this is mine. And it might be different, but the feelings are similar. That's right. And then we don't feel so alone. They're universal. As an imposter, yeah. You feel like you're imposing on somebody imposing exactly. on a group. Yeah. But what you realize is that we're okay. Like we all, you know, we're, we're, we're not as different as we appear. So true. In fact, we all connected. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I love the sharing piece. And that's really brings us to why we do this, right? We, we, we gather and we help each other and we see each other.
0: It feels only appropriate that we choose a quote from the queen of shame herself. As we close this episode around imposter syndrome. So here we are with Brene Brown. When we find the courage to share our experiences and the compassion to hear others tell their stories, we force shame out of hiding and end the silence. If anything you heard today on the pod resonated with you, we'd like to invite you to explore the areas of your life that you may not feel good enough and why that may be for you, as witness, with compassion for you and all that you have been through. Namaste, friends. Thanks for listening into SoulNet, everybody. If you liked what you heard here today on the podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you have topics you'd like us to cover here on the net, email us at soulnetsisters at gmail.com.